This is an ABC podcast. We see people really struggling with finding a place in the world, um, especially if they're still living in their traditional lands, but they don't have their language that allows them to connect closely to their landscapes and to their cultural practices. Our land is not just a land in itself. It's the names that we give to a particular river or mountain or um, a song that we sing or the stories that we hear. So it's a lot more than just losing the language or the words that we speak. I married to a foreign island. My kid will say, I am part this island and that island. And I want them, when they say that, for them to feel that yes, they are actually from that island. When it comes to languages, our region is one of the richest in the world. It's quite incredible, really, because since colonization, our languages have been disappearing, especially in Melanesia. But here's the thing. Language and culture are intrinsically linked, passed from mothers to our children. So, if our languages are in danger, what does that mean for our culture? I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about keeping our Pacific languages alive. I found some really interesting facts preparing for today's show from the Living Tongues Institute of Endangered Languages that I want to share with you. Half the world's languages are spoken in Asia and the Pacific Islands. More than 10% of the world's languages are spoken in Papua New Guinea. Papuan languages are said to be quite ancient, between 20 and 50,000 years old. And only 1 to 2% of people in PNG and Solomon Islands speak English. So that's the good news. Our languages are amazing. But the challenge we're facing is keeping all of these ancient languages as the need for speaking English has risen in the Pacific, so too as the need to save our indigenous languages. And as women, we have a crucial part to play in doing that. That's because it's us women who are the ones at home with our little ones as they learn to speak. So, why is it important to keep the languages alive? From my perspective as a linguist, I see a really close connection between culture and language because language is a really important uh, vehicle that we use to express culture. So all of the vocabulary that we use to uh, express cultural beliefs and practices and understandings uh, belongs to individual languages. That's Dr. Julie Barboa, a senior lecturer in linguistics at the University of Waikato in New Zealand. She says language influences so many elements of culture, like song, dance, art, and even humor in the way we speak. From a number of people who speak more than one language who I have talked to over the years, very often those people say that their first language is the language of prayer. It's the language that they share the love they have for their family with their family members. It's the language that they talk to babies in. So all of these functions that are really close to the heart of families, I think, are expressed through 
our mother tongues. So would you say that language is important to one's cultural identity and self of self-esteem and belonging? Yes, very much so. And I think we see this more in cases where people have, for lots of different social and historical reasons, they've lost contact with their heritage language. We see people really struggling with finding a place in the world, um, especially if they're still living in their traditional lands, but they don't have their language that allows them to connect closely to their landscapes and to their cultural practices. So language is what people use to express who they are. And when that identity is tied closely to traditions and it's tied closely to place, I think when it's lost, it's very hard for people and our identity, our sense of well-being really suffers for that. Julie says as languages start to disappear, communities are jumping to action to revitalize their indigenous language. Very often, uh, community reaches a point where people are beginning to see young children no longer learning the language, and that's where people start to get worried. And it's that point where transmission from older generations to younger generations is um, fading that I think people become very concerned. And at that point, you get a lot of enthusiasm for uh, reteaching the language to young people. Vanuatu has been described as a dense linguistic landscape, but very few people speak each language. This might represent many parts of the Pacific and in PNG where I come from. I also have this difficulty with my own children, you know, learning their languages because they're in Australia. What is the biggest risk that contributes to us losing our language? I think there's a real tension in individual households and it's around the choices that parents make and particularly around the choices that mothers make in terms of which languages they keep alive and spoken in homes when children are growing up. So even for people who are outside of their home communities, a mum can continue to speak the family language and to raise children in the family language. But that's always happening against a backdrop of typically a language like English, which is so dominant in so many domains of life. It's really important for kids' educational success that they are competent in English. If you're living in Australia, for example, if you're living in Aotearoa, New Zealand, competence in English allows for educational success. So it's really, I think it's really difficult for families to balance the needs of um, society and the pressures of society around success in education. And of course, educational success leads to greater opportunities in, um, in employment and earning capacity, access to political power, all kinds of consequences for having competence in English. And those pressures have to be balanced against what we know, which is that the mother tongue, the indigenous language of a family, maybe it's it's a heritage language of a family, depending on where they live. We know that it's important to hold on to that language. We know for young people's sense of well-being, that being able to access their family language will benefit them in terms of their well-being. And so there's this enormous pressure to, and I think tension, between the benefits of a language like English and the more subtle but much more powerful benefits of speaking an Indigenous language. That's Dr. Julie Babor, Senior Lecturer in Linguistics at the University of Waikato, describing the importance of balancing a dominant language that will determine your earning capacity with continuing to speak your mother tongue for your cultural identity. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Hilda Wayne. Thank you so much for joining me on Sisters Let's Talk.
We're talking about keeping our languages alive today and the important role that women play in that as we raise our families. We talked to lots of moms as part of this episode and they all say a very similar thing. Teaching a language takes time and you really have got to, you know, make the time to actively um, think, you know, and speak the language. It's not that hard to teach the language, but you've just got to actively think, I should be speaking it. And, you know, when you speak the language, people will just naturally just pick it up as like English or Caucasian, but, you know, I just have been actively thinking, I should be speaking, you know, language to them. I know three, three different languages, English, Caucasian and Adora. They can hear it, but they can't speak it. That's PNG mum, Jennifer Buying Waiko. With so many of us Pacific Islanders raising our children in cities and even abroad, it's natural that their exposure to their mother tongue will be interrupted by the dominant language of their new environment. All throughout my um, studies, I spoke English in the school that I attended, which was mandatory, and Pidgin became very, um, it was spoken very little at home. And then, you know, the university and uh, when I met my partner, it became like our language at home because we come from different provinces. This is a very shared experience too for Pacific women. That's Hilda Mondo. She's also from PNG and living in the Federated States of Micronesia with her husband and children who, by the way, are learning to speak Japanese and Spanish, but not her own language. I'll have to admit that I am at fault at that in so many ways. I actually, I grew up in, in my mother's village where I was spoken, our local dialect, I mean local language, you know, right throughout. From my early years as a child, as a toddler, till I think I was around seven or eight when I was ready to go to school, which I left and went away. Pigeon was not really um, spoken in the home. So when we had our children, English was the language that we communicated with them from you know, when they started listening and learning how to talk until today. So I would say that we had fault at that, that we didn't realize the importance of teaching our children, our local um, vernacular from the start. I think I was also a little bit ignorant at that time. I didn't see the value or the importance of of, um, conserving our language our local vernacular. And also the contributing factor was that because we come from different places and you know how diverse Papua New Guinea is with our 800 plus different languages. So we couldn't really teach them our mother's language or our father's language because they also came from different provinces. Pidgin, although could have been taught to our children, we kind of disregarded it because we thought, or they would not go to school and learn how to speak. Pigeon or writing pigeon, they would have to know how to speak English so that when they go to school, they will learn how to um, write English and become better at it. I guess, name I come, I also have a similar background or situation as you have, where you know our kids are living away from home. I can't afford to bring, you know, although I wish to bring babysitters, you know, from the village to come here, stay with me, and help teach my children how to speak the talk plus their father's talk plus. Uh, I can't do that because of cost and everything. So it's a big regret for me. Um, is that the same with you as well? I think I also took it for granted that we would be in the country for the rest of our lives and that they would continue to listen to their, uh, you know, aunties or uncles who come to the house speaking PG to them or any other relative that comes and visits. And so 
You know, now that we have left and we are out of the country, sometimes uh, my husband and I would speak in Pidgin if we didn't want them to listen to some of the things that we were discussing. Or sometimes uh, we're just, you know, having a leisurely family talk and we speak Pidgin in between. And so they would hear us. They'll try to um, imitate and then um, think that they know what they're saying. So we have to correct them from time to time. And only recently I realized the importance of getting my children to learn how to speak. Maybe not our local vernacular, but just speaking pidgin is is, is as important enough. Children are at this stage in their growing phase where they easily learn new languages and new ideas and things. So they can actually speak the local language here. And it's a shame that they cannot speak our language, not, you know, properly. Wow, so they are speaking yeah. a different uh, uh, language altogether okay. from a different country. Exactly, and, and and I'm telling them that, hey, look, stop it. Stop, stop, stop picking that language. I didn't take you all the way here to learn that language. You know, you have to be <laughs> proud of where you come from and your origin and speak your And they're like, okay, uh, you didn't teach us. <laughs> Wow. So that's the case now. And, and it's it's sad. It's a sad reality. And it, it, it kind of hit me hard. And, you know, when they're trying to speak Tokpisin and the dialect is different. And <laughs> so how old are your kids now? Okay. I have these three who are at home with us right now. One is, she's 14. Uh, one is 12. And the other one is 10. The elder sister who is away she she knows she can speak it um she can understand it i guess she's also blessed with this ability to um speak a little bit of different vernaculars like she catches up very easily she can speak tokpisin and a bit of her grandfather from the Simbu side, she can speak a little bit from her grandmother. That's on her dad's side. From my side, she struggles. You know, she, now she's in Fiji, she can speak the local dialect fluently. And it, is, it amazes me. <laughs> you mean she Fiji, can speak Fiji, a little bit of... Fiji? Wow. She's in Fiji. She's studying at USP. Um, she can speak Fijian. Um the local language there, you know, the common one that everyone speaks. And she also, she has friends from around the Pacific. So she picks up a few lines here and there from Kiribati or Solomon Island or Vanuatu, which, you know, like for her, it's so easy. And I find it so hard to do that. I, I really cannot. But like I said, you know, children at this stage where they can easily pick up uh, language and they can they can speak it. These three at home are also learning Japanese online and Spanish online and it it's just it amazes me and I'm telling myself that it's it's really sad that I cannot sit down and write something in my local language and teach them because I think I've also lost it along the way. Do you think it is important that at least they know a bit of Tokpisin when going back home for holidays and communicating with relatives and so forth? As much as we would like them to know the language, it's also about um, um, people's perspective towards you and what they may think or may not think about you. And it's important that you must be able to master that language one way or another so that you don't make people think bad about you, I guess. Hilda Mondo, speaking from the Federated States of Micronesia about the challenges of keeping her language alive through her children while living away from PNG. One of the countries that has been hit hard by loss of language is Vanuatu. 
Did you know that Vanuatu boasts as many as 145 languages in a population of less than 300,000? Galen Tarosa is an educator in Vanuatu who discovered the importance of language when she went abroad to study. That's when she became concerned about the loss of indigenous languages back home. She told sister's producer Amanda Donaghy that a major threat to languages can be when one language is more dominant when a couple gets married. I got married to another island, totally different from where I am originally from. And my way of doing things is completely different. And the issue when I get into the family, now I I understand the language. I speak a bit of my husband's language, but initially I had no clue what they're talking about. I'm lost, totally lost when they speak in their mother tongue or their dialect. I don't know. Those are some of the issues that mothers or females face when we have intermarriages. And because of these intermarriages, I come in and all my kids speak my language now. So if my husband is not strong enough, my kids would not speak his language as well. To me, it is important because I am I am married to a foreign island. My kid will say, I am part this island and that island. And I want them, when they say that, for them to feel that, yes, they are actually from that island, I think it is very important that language comes with it. So when they speak that language, they will feel that we belong there. Although they don't go very often to the island, but that becomes an identification to anyone that they talk to. They will know that, yes, they are part this island and this island. It takes energy and it takes time. My For my case, I got married and I'm in the midst of all my family, my husband's family, and I tried really hard for my kids to speak my language. What is the situation in Vanuatu generally, particularly when people move away from their villages to urban centres? What happens to their languages in that case? I'd say we're losing the language. Slowly we are losing the language. I don't know if other mothers who see the importance of our mother tongue. You have to feel passion for it. How did you become passionate about your language? It was my going to New Zealand that made a change in my mindset. Vanuatu is the second in the world with all the different languages. So because of that, they told me all about it. And maybe because I am educated, I come to understand it. And they got me to write in my language, for goodness sake. After all these years, I spoke my language fluently. I never saw it written and I never controlled using it until that time. What are you doing now to help others hold on to their language? Back on many of our islands in Vanuatu now, because of intermarriages, they used to be slammer which is a common language that we use in Vanuatu to communicate because of the different languages. So that becomes the means of communication between people and that's how intermarriage comes about. And even the villages are losing the language. So we try to put little books together to help them, help the little ones in the village go back and look at the language and start reading the language. So what I do with the others when I have the opportunity now, I tell them language is very important and we need to, we as ladies, we need to learn our language, our mother tongue especially, and then we can use that with our kids daily so they listen to our language. Some of the kids understand by hearing, some that can grasp their language faster, they can even speak it.
So how do you think all of this has shaped your life? For me personally and my family have also seen the importance now. Our mindset has shifted to now understand that our language is very important. We have seen the importance of passing on our language from my generation to my kids. Now my my kids speak my language and I'd say they have an identity and they have identity for their father's language as well. And I'm sure they will pass it on to the next generation. Language and culture truly go along together. I know that our mother tongue has a culture and identity. When I say I am from that island, I speak the language, I know what culture they do with that language. But if I don't, I would not feel like I belong. Gail Tarosa is an educator in Vanuatu and she's encouraging women to keep teaching their children their languages. When it comes to documenting languages in the Pacific, the Summer Institute of Linguistics is well known by the work they do translating Bibles and other religious texts into indigenous languages. When they see a Bible in their hand, it's more like, oh, wow, this is our language and it's in a book. Um, so it's but amazement, different feelings, depending on um, when in the process people see their language written down. That's Rudy Yawiro, a senior manager of language services at the SIL PNG. She told sisters producer Amanda Donaghy that for oral societies, where languages are traditionally unwritten, seeing languages written down can impact significantly on the speakers of those languages. So I've gone to Unitech was one and there are young people who go to school there. And just knowing that they have a Bible in their language was amazing. Like one person, like she nearly cried that she thought about, oh, my dad speaks the language. I don't speak it at all, but we have a Bible in our language and just seeing it, seeing the look in her eyes. But it is amazing to see like nearly in tears, but so happy to know that. So it's not just other people's languages that are written down, but it's also my language. So how important is a child's heritage language to their formal education prospects? I personally believe that it's very important as a child or as a person who grew up in an urban area. I feel that it is very important for the child to be engaged with their own vernacular language. And part of it is because there is, it is not just a language of communication, but it is your identity involved in it. Um, some parts of it is lost when before going into formal education, you're not engaging with your own vernacular language. There are some nuances in our language or some things that are tied to it that you lose over time because... Um, you pick on other things in life. I like a different way of thinking. It is good to have a broader mindset, a broader mind about like when you start a formal education, you're engaging in a different language and it's not even talk and it is English in most cases for most of our education system. And in, in that sense, when you pick up the language, there are certain things that you pick up as well. So it's not just the language that you engage in. When you engage with a lot of different people from different language groups, from different countries and engaging in that language, you pick up things that become you, that become part of your life. And it's great. It's part of expanding the horizon for a person. But in terms of that, it also, you could always sometimes feel like there's a loss of 
um, who am I in this world that is ever-changing when technology comes in, when we are using a different language and when we're engaging with different things. So what do you think that that says about the connection between language and culture? There's a bit more than just language and culture, but it's intertwined that I feel like you can't really separate the two. Mm, So what would be the biggest risks to losing languages in Papua New Guinea? You lose your sense of identity. You lose of who you are. And speaking of like a Melanesian worldview, um, our land is not just a land in itself. It's the names that we give to a particular river or a mountain or um, a song that we sing or the stories that we hear. So it's a lot more than just losing the language or the words that we speak. So what would be the impact on a community when a language is lost? The impact would be great depending on how the community takes it. The community can change into something more. And it may mean that they identify with a different language. And so they take on the identity that comes with that different language. It may be a loss for the older generation, but it can be something that the newer generation born into the new language would identify with. So it could be a loss or it could be a gain, depending on how you see it. With all of this in mind, how important are mothers in particular in teaching languages to their children? It is very important, I would say. And I would not just say mothers, but I would say parents in general to intentionally be teaching children language. But I can see where mothers are more because especially in Papua New Guinea, mothers spend a lot more time with their children. And so um, with the tone of voice that you use, the language that you speak, um, it adds something. It brings memories, maybe bad memories, good memories, but it teaches children about their language, about how to use it, when to use it, and what tones to use as well. With everything that you know about languages, what's some advice that you would give to keep our languages alive in Papua New Guinea? I think I would address this more towards us, the younger generation of Papua New Guineans who may have lost our language or vernacular languages, or who may be in the process of losing it, who knows, be intentional about teaching our children what languages we would like them to hold on to. And even if these languages, uh, if there are mixed parentage folks, for the parents to decide which languages they want to have their children learn. And it's not just like English or Tokpisin, but much more than that. And it just gives them a sense of who they are and how they connect with the communities that they are a part of. Tokpisin and English were the two languages that I grew up speaking. Um, But there are some things that I feel I miss out on just using those two languages. And they make more sense when I use vernacular language for them. But I cannot I cannot use a whole phrase. I can only use words here and there. What what would you say is the most difficult thing to translate between languages in your experience? Translating. I would say the word love. Love is an L-O-V-E. How people would show love, how people would demonstrate it is very different. So how they would describe it in their language may be more richer than, let's say, saying it in English. It may not mean the same thing. Wow. That was Rudy Yawiro. Senior Manager, Language Services at the Summer Institute of Linguistics in PNG. And in case you're wondering the translation for I love you all in my Melba language, it's Numan Ngundo. So to all our sisters, let's talk listeners. Emenpora Numan Ngundo. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. 
we've heard from lots of different women today with an interest in revitalizing languages in the Pacific and also mothers with real-life challenges to keeping our mother tongues alive through our children. I also have worried that my children will not speak their languages because they are growing up in Australia. But on the flip side, my children will be fluent in English, and I hope this opens many doors for them too, which may not be available for them back home in PNG. Thank you so much for joining me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show where women come together to talk about the issues that are important to us. Do you have a topic you'd like us to cover on our next show? I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, in the Pacific, we have always celebrated being big. But over the past 20 years, our perception of what's normal has really changed. Is this an issue? And what impact does this have on our women? Having grown up in this Western society, away from you know my mother country in Samoa, I've seen the way that the Western society perceives big bodies. And, you know, big bodies are considered unhealthy, obese, all of these, you know, these labels and everything. And growing up in that world, it's been quite hard to live in this space. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented by me, Hilda Wayne. It's produced by Amanda Donaghy. Our supervising producer is Inga Stunzner. Executive producer is Justin Kelly. And our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. I'm Tasol Nabungimu next time.